Hello and welcome to Imperfect Men, yet another Rexypod writing all the Founding Fathers from Andrew Adams to George With. I'm Cody. I'm Steven. And today we are discussing a signer of both the Declaration and the Constitution. Ooh, two. George Clymer. He's been climbing all day. C-L-Y-M-E-R. C-L-Y-M-E-R. Okay. Interesting. Yep. What was that, Dutch? Uh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I didn't research his entire family tree. Oh, uh, what? Then what are we even doing here? Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm hacking a fraud, I know. Uh, so, George Clymer, born on March 16th, 1739 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to Christopher and Deborah Clymer. Okay. A, a bit of a sort of a tragic backstory. Uh, his mother died when he was two. And his father when he was seven. Dang. He was orphaned at seven. And he was raised by a maternal aunt, Hannah Coleman, and her husband, William, a merchant. And they kind of just took him as their own child because they, did, they, uh, they didn't have any children of their own. Oh, okay. So they, they went ahead and raised him. All right. Well, that's nice. Uh, and as I said, William, uh, William Coleman, he's a merchant, uh, heavily involved in various businesses in Philadelphia. He actually helped finance Benjamin Franklin when he came to town. Uh, after leaving Boston. Okay. Uh, what, what do you mean by finance? Uh, and like invest in his business, you know. Oh, okay, okay. Startup cash, like that kind of thing. Sure, and, he, sure. and, and they were made friends for the rest of uh, at least Coleman's life. Okay. So, uh, Climber, uh, we don't really know much about like his education or anything like that, but we, uh, m- as much as we know is that like he was kind of self-taught in mm. a way. Self-taught as a lawyer? <laughs> no. Oh, not a lawyer. No? No. Oh, surprise me then. Yeah. He uh, he would follow his uncle William into the uh, his, his mercantile business. Oh, okay. Uh, especially once uh, William died in 1769. Okay. Uh, he, he inherited his business. All right. So. Uh, in 1765, Clymer had married Elizabeth Meredith. They would go on to have nine children. Ooh, nine children. Yep. Uh, Clymer, and he began protesting uh, British actions around this time, including a, the uh, Stamp Act in 1765, which, if you remember, is where he had to have a stamp on all legal documents and all sorts of a things. A lot of them were very upset about that. Oh, yes. Which, yes. Uh, understandably so. Yes. Uh, and this continued, uh, this this sort of agitating revolutionary activity, continued all the way up through the revolution. He served on Pennsylvania's Committee of Safety in 1773 to 75, so... And we've talked about that before. A lot of s- colonies had their own committees of safety, committees of correspondence, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of communicating with each other, let everybody know, hey, British are up to this. They're yep. doing this. Right, right, yeah. This guy's having an affair. <laughs> what, really? They even did that kind of stuff? Like probably. gossip? There's probably some gossip in there. Uh, probably yeah. some hot gossip. Yeah, I guess so. So Probably, yeah. Psst. Hey, this guy's sleeping with this guy. <laughs> They're sleeping together. <laughs> I know it. Pass it along. I saw it. I seen it. <laughs> uh, he was chosen to represent Pennsylvania in the Continental Congress in 1776, where he signed the Declaration. And he left Congress the following year to return to state politics, uh, but was elected to Congress again in 1780, serving until 1782. Chosen as a delegate to the Constitutional Convention in 1787, where he signed the Constitution. Well, he was one of Pennsylvania's first members of the U.S. House of Representatives, serving one term, 1789 to 91, which is in there right at the beginning. Uh, he was 
tasked with uh, negotiating some treaties with Native American tribes in the late 1790s. And he died on January 23rd, 1813 in Morrisville, Pennsylvania, age 73. Dang, he lived a while. Yeah, a little while, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's above our average today. So, yeah, our average is only 72.3 or something like that. Yeah. So, oh. but yeah, that's just a quick biography of him. So yeah. now we get into our categories. Uh-oh. Perpetual Union. How influential were they on the founding documents? How high did he climb? So, <laughs> <laughs> climb spelled C-L-Y-M-B. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how you spell it, isn't it? <laughs> Klim. Klim. <laughs> uh, he was not in Congress when the Declaration was voted on. He would join between the ratification and the signing, because remember, they signed it on August the 2nd. But after his election to the new Pennsylvania legislature in May of 1776, he led the committee that authorized Pennsylvania's delegates to vote for ratification. All right. Because before this... Uh, the instructions from the Pennsylvania State Legislature to their delegates to Congress was try to be try, try to be conciliatory, try to be like a more level head. Mm-hmm. Say like you know maybe step back. Let's try to negotiate with Britain. Oh, but you know once this new legislature is in place, because okay, okay, like many other colon- former colonies at this time, Pennsylvania immediately wrote a new constitution for itself so it could you know get all the uh, British. Officials out, essentially, mm, like sure. the world governor and that type of thing. Yeah. And, you know, this is happening during the revolution. So a lot of the first legislatures for these states were going to be uh, usually pretty radical mm-hmm. in terms of the independence debate. Sure. So once Clymer is in there, he leads this committee, says that tells Pennsylvania's delegation to the Congress, hey, vote for ratification. Oh. Vote for independence. Okay. So this is just like... Just a couple, just like less than two months before the actual vote. So, okay. and then as I mentioned, he signed it when he finally got to Congress uh, in late July, and then you know, signed it once the copy was ready on August second. So he didn't really contribute to the actual debating of it. Didn't contribute to its wording, but, but he influenced the vote for it for his state. That's pretty big. Yeah, that's, that's pretty big. Now, fast forward to the Constitutional Convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a quote from one of my sources, one of the general sources I use. Clymer, quote, was one of the convention's silent members. <laughs> Uh-oh, another one of those. Very experienced politically, but more effectual in caucus than on the floor, end quote. Meaning, he didn't say much. Mm-hmm. But, I do got some stuff. Nice. So, he served on the Committee of Eleven... Which had, do you, do you want to guess how many members it had? Twelve. <laughs> so close. Oh. So close. It had eleven. No, oh, dang. Should, oh, yeah. Let, okay. I, I know. Who the, who the thunk yeah. it? Uh, and that committee debated the federal government's role in regulating commerce, which is a, a, an important, probably one of the most important clauses, at least in Article One, the Commerce Clause basically saying that Congress you know, has the power to regulate commerce. Sure. Um, and this was a contentious debate during the full convention. This is why it was kind of formed in this committee and say, hey, you guys kind of handle this. It was compri- uh, comprised of a bunch of people who hadn't really spoken out on it, mm. really. So it was like, okay, 
you guys are perceived as kind of neutral on the issue. Maybe you guys can decide it or compromise on it. Okay. The southern states didn't want any federal regulation of commerce at all. Of course. The northern states did, and the middle states were in the middle. So the southern states didn't really want any regulation of it. They didn't want any sort of import or export taxes because the south you know, was largely an agrarian economy. It didn't really have a large manufacturing base. Right. So it was a large exporter of just raw materials like cotton. Yeah. Because especially in Britain at this time, the Industrial Revolution is really starting to get going, starting to really, you know, become a thing, and they're needing those raw materials. So the South, you know, they want to export their goods to Britain, or at least other countries that are also developing their manufacturing base. Uh, Because those countries don't really have one of their own yet at this point, so they don't want any export taxes. Sure. They also don't want any import taxes. Right. No taxes. <laughs> they, the South, it wasn't really a concern in the South. In the North, where this manufacturing is also starting to kick up, I mean, it's not to like its full extent yet, but it's starting to develop uh, this manufacturing capability. They want import taxes, which you may know by another name, a tariff. Mm. So basically, the point of an import tax or a tariff is to make it more expensive to buy foreign goods so the consumer will buy the goods made in the country. So let's say you have good X. Uh, It's made in the U.S. uh, Cost of $20 to make, they sell for $25. Well, let's say this exact same good is made in, let's, let's just say, well, let's say Mexico. The cost there is cheaper because, like, you know, labor costs are cheaper. Um, there's not much regulation, not much tax, you know, blah, blah, blah. They can make it for $15 and sell it at $20 in the United States. If there's no protective, if there's no tariff on that, I mean, the consumers are going to buy the $20 one over the $25 one, sure. mostly. Which will run that American company out of business, American jobs are lost, and now, that Mexican creator of that good is the only creator of that good. They have un- they have monopoly on it. They can now charge whatever the hell they want. Oh, I see. So, a protective tariff, you'd be like, okay, let's put a, you know, X percent um, tariff import tax on that good for Mexico. And now, that raises the cost of it, you know, that 15, plus, let's say the, uh, it's like a I mean, there, you would never have one this high, but I'm just using it for an example. Let's say you have a, a two-thirds, like a, or like a 66% tariff on it. It now costs $25. Mm. Now, to make a profit on it, you have to sell it for 30 mm-hmm. Well, now, the consumer's going to buy the $25 American one. Sure. Makes sense. It, it boosts the American economy internally. It keeps those jobs in America. So that's kind of the whole point of a of an import tax or a tariff, which I mean, they're still a thing today, right? Of course. I yeah, mean, that especially was, that was a big thing Trump was all about. Yeah, like yeah. like putting tariffs on like you know Chinese, Chinese goods. goods so. yeah, yeah. But e- e- even be before that, beyond like there's always tariffs on stuff. Like, sure. Yeah. For like like that's why like you know Toyota and Honda and all those you know, car manufacturers that's why they have plants in the United States, mm. so they don't yeah. have to pay that. 
import tax. Right. Well, it makes. I mean, it makes sense because that also. Well, I guess today it, it prevents companies from leaving our country and going somewhere else. Yes. And making it cheaper so they can make an extra dollar. You know. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what they're selling, of course. But well, yeah, well, I mean, in that case, that's yeah. exactly what it does. Exactly. So, so I mean, it's much more complicated than that, but that's oh, yeah. the it's, gist of it. Yeah, yeah, I got you, yeah. And so the North doesn't, like, like or, like, they do want these import taxes. So, like, their goods are protected. Okay. And the South doesn't really want them because, okay, well... We're kind of going to be forced to sell our goods to American manufacturers who may who may not pay us as much as like British ones. Oh, so so if there's an import tax, then they're they're going to be like, well, why should I buy it from you? Yeah, because I have to pay more anyway. Yeah, so I got it, you. It's okay. it's comp- it's, it's a whole dumb. web <laughs> of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. of course, like so many other things, it became embroiled in the debate over slavery. Sure. Yeah. Because of course. Who's farming all that stuff in the South? Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, Clymer was in favor of federal oversight over commerce, saying that, quote, the northern and middle states will be ruined if not enabled to defend themselves against foreign trade regulations, end quote. Which is kind of just what I alluded to. Uh, in the southern states, they also wanted the unlimited importation of enslaved people. Of course. Of course they did. So, they wanted more workers for their fields. Of course they did. So, in the end, the committee reached a compromise. Congress could pass uh, legislation regulating commerce by a simple majority, which stands to this day. It's just like any other bill. There's no special thing with it where you need, like, two-thirds to pass or anything like that. Export taxes would be banned. So, no export taxes. Okay. And that's, that's right in the Constitution... So it's still relevant to this day. Wow. The importation of enslaved people would be taxed. Okay. And the importation itself would end in 1800, which was later changed to 1808. The importation of enslaved uh, people. Yes. Okay. Uh, there were there have been some who have been calling for an immediate end of the slave trade. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned, the South wanted to just keep it going. Of course. Uh, so they just Free labor. struck it down the middle. Yeah. Uh, like, like slave trade itself ends 1800. Mm. And later again, later changed 1808, which we'll get to the person who changed it later. <laughs> so. <laughs> later down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Clymer was also fearful of admitting Western territories as states without some sort of process enshrined in the Constitution, stating that it would be, quote, suicide for the Eastern states to do so. Because at this point, there have been several kind of self-declared states. So you may have heard, like, the state of Franklin. I've never heard of that. never heard of that? <laughs> it, was, like, out, it was out in Ten- a small area of Tennessee. Uh, there was state of Transylvania, state of, uh, state of Westylvania. Westylvania? Yeah. Uh, and kind of humorous for me, since it's also the name of my hometown, the state of Vandalia. Huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. so there was always, like, little self-declared states. They didn't really last long, but he, he was... In favor of putting it, like, an actual process in place. To make a state, yeah. Yeah, to make it official, because, you know, you didn't want, you know, like, all these little self-declared states. <laughs> like, these little podunk, like, I don't want to call this one Bean State or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no? <laughs> 
I'll grow beans here. This, bean state. <laughs> the state of Bush. Yeah. And yeah. So he was in favor of regulating that, which, retrospect, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. And he favored something called at large representation. Now, what this is, it used to be a thing back in the day. It's It really hasn't, it's kind of faded out in the 1960s. So you have a state, you know, it has its set number of representatives in the House, like let's just say 10. At-large representation means that they're not divvied up into districts like they are today. It's like this rep, this guy or this person represents this district one, district right. two, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. At-large, it can kind of vary between one extreme to the other. You could have this state with 10 representatives elect all 10 on a statewide ticket instead of just in that district like they would normally be like today. Or you could have something like, okay, well, four, like, or like six of them are divvied up into districts, and then this one big district elects four from across uh, the thing. I see, okay. It's, yeah, not really a thing anymore. Um, states could technically still do it if they wanted to, but, I mean, just... There's no reason to, because a lot of it back then was the difficulty in drawing the map for a district. Yeah. Because you didn't, you know, there wasn't, you don't have the map tools that you have today. I mean, you can just do it on a computer real quick. Well, isn't that where the gerrymandering comes in? Uh, it, it exists. Uh, you know, and. Because, I mean, I hear about that all the time where, like, they're trying to redraw lines and. We will. We will discuss gerrymandering when we get to Elbridge Jerry. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's, I'm guessing, who's named after? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but at-large representation, it also kind of dilutes the political power of ordinary citizens. Because, like, let's say your whole state is, like, let's say you elect all 10 of your representatives on an at-large district. Theoretically, all 10 could be elected, like, from, like, the city. Like let let's say in Pennsylvania, all ten could be elected from Philadelphia. Oh, so they don't want that, or he wanted that. He wanted that because it would kind of, it it would quote produce a good and respectable representation. Sure, yeah. Basically, yeah. don't let the rabble in there. Right, I was about to say like you don't want the the Hicks from up north to, or up yeah. or down south or whatever of the state to yeah. have a represent representative. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, so which isn't great. It's not great, but I get where he's coming from because, like, you don't want uneducated people coming up and being like, "Oh, I'm a representative of the state," you know. So I, I kind of, yes. I kind of see it just just on that that, especially can, back then. I can understand it from the diff, like from the perspective of the difficulty of determining a district, yeah, and yeah. where it should be because, especially like out in the frontier, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. There's like five people out there. Like, which one's going to be the representative? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but yeah, that that is a uh, so that's perpetual union. Mm-hmm. Uh, some good stuff in there. Not necessarily stuff that he did. At least in terms of constitution, anyway. Yeah. But you you got some some opinions of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was work on that committee. Yeah, uh, the, and then, and then and then the uh, Declaration of Independence thing. Yeah, where he like yeah he basically was like pushed them doing it. We're doing yeah. it. 
Yeah, push them like, hey, you vote for ratification. Do, do You're it. You're authorized <laughs> to do it. Do yeah. it. Do it now. Do it. <laughs> All the do it. Yeah, so I'm going to give him like, I'm going to give him a five. Five? Yeah. Yeah, that's about where I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we don't really have the internal debates of this committee. Right. Right. We get that information that the committee of eleven. Yeah. <laughs> what a what a name. <laughs> it sounds like a secret society. It's like <laughs> it kind of does. It's the, it's the committee of eleven. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. The only people who, who can talk about it are the eleven people. First rule of committee of eleven: <laughs> don't talk about committee of eleven. <laughs> Everything must be divisible by eleven. <laughs> There's just elevens all over the walls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's eleven. Candles. I don't, I don't know. The the ones in that one look too far apart. That's not two ones, is it? <laughs> Put them closer. <laughs> it's an eleven. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there's probably some. Uh, no, we'll get on that. <laughs> um, but yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's probably is some debate in there. Mm-hmm. We get his opinions on things, which is more than we get for some of these people. Yep. Uh, I'm also gonna go a five. So. I mean that's fair, a middle of the road. <laughs> yeah, I mean so. it was middle of the road stuff that he yeah. did. So, so. Yeah. yeah, so five and five, that's a ten for a perpetual union. Now, we the people, how influential were they outside of the founding documents? Hmm. Uh he was elected to various local offices in the seventeen sixties and seventies. Uh he was a justice of the peace at one point, even though he wasn't a lawyer. Hmm. Which is interesting. That's weird. Uh, he advocated active resistance to the Stamp Act in 1765 and signed a non-importation agreement with 400 other Philadelphia merchants. Yeah, so like, hey, we're not we're not going to be important stuff. Not from England because this, this here Stamp Act. Uh, he organized a boycott of the towns and acts, which were kind of like further. Hey, you you do this, you pay this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. After the Boston Tea Party in 1773, he pushed for a similar. Embargo on tea in Philadelphia, but was rejected. Oh. <laughs> As I mentioned, elected to Pennsylvania's Committee of Safety, serving the Continental Congress. You'll like this, because I know this is a big thing for you. He led other Philadelphia merchants in establishing the Pennsylvania Bank, which raised funds to supply the desperate Continental Army in 1780. Yes, that's a big he one. He arranged for the purchase of various supplies needed, like gunpowder, saltpeter, Wool for clothes, that kind of stuff. All the things you don't really think of. No. When you think of like the war, you think, you know, yeah, guns or whatever, but you don't think of like the weird Boots. stuff. Like they need like cans of food and they need like, you know, or I don't know if they did cans of food, but they need food. They need bullets. They need <laughs> wood for fire. They need like all kinds of stuff. They need canvas for tents. Yeah. All like you don't so think about that. They need paper. Stuff. Like the officers need yeah. paper to write their orders out on socks. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like. You don't think about that kind of stuff. No. Uh, he also, uh, during the course of the war, Philadelphia was under threat of occupation by the British. And when Congress left town to avoid being captured, he stayed behind to kind of handle affairs and stuff. Uh, when the when the British finally did Philadelphia, he also fled. So he didn't stay during the occupation. I mean, he signed the declaration. He would have been hanged. Yeah, well, so, that, so I can't blame him there. Yeah, I don't <laughs> yeah. blame him, but he did stay behind. But um, he served one term in the U.S. House. After his term, he was appointed by President Washington as the Supervisor of Revenue in Pennsylvania, responsible for collecting taxes. Oops. Don't like that. 
He resigned in 1794, shortly before the beginning of the Whiskey Rebellion, mm. which was about collecting taxes. Oh. <laughs> Good thing he resigned. I couldn't really find anything further about his role, mm-hmm. but... Mm, I mean, that's the thing. Like, Yeah. They're, they're going to have a tax man. It's just going to be a thing. you got to collect the taxes to yeah. pay for you know things. So yeah. I'm not going to fault him for being a tax man. You know, like. That's fair. But it, it could, you can definitely see the problem where it's like, oh, this Eastern merchant guy coming out here to the frontier to get money from us. Yeah. When the money is not great. I mean, it might not have been... I mean, trying to tax the whiskey, which we essentially use as currency out here. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So, I get it. Yeah, I, I, I can see both sides, but I mean, yeah, it, taxes. Are, you know, they say like I, I, there's I only know. two things that are. Uh, yeah, this, this is a day where it's not like okay, well, here IRS is my bank account. You can just take it from that. No, someone had to actually go physically collect the money. Yeah. <laughs> there's only so. what's the saying is like there's only two certainties in life: one, death, death and, taxes. and taxes. So yeah. like, it, it's a thing. <laughs> Unless you're rich, well, I mean, yeah, you still pay taxes, not a mu- not as much yeah. somehow. <laughs> and death is certain; it's just further off because you can afford a better medical care. <laughs> right, exactly. That's why Warren Buffett is like 95 years old. Anyway, <laughs> uh, he afterwards he was tasked by Washington to negotiate a treaty with the Creek and Seminole tribes in 1796, which brought them under the American sphere of influence. Because okay. uh, the Spanish had been putting out feelers to them, you know, kind of like make an agreement with us. Basically, they'd have uh, an ally in American territory. Yeah, but so like bring them under the U.S. kind of influence. Good and bad. Yeah, <laughs> for many like, reasons. Because I mean, you could argue this is the first of like many cases where, oh, you know the the the. Numerous treaties that were broken. Oh my god! Yeah. So that can be a whole. That podcast. may not be great either. That could be a whole podcast by itself. All the treaties that the uh, America yeah. broke yeah. with the Native Americans. Uh, he largely stepped out of political life after this. Uh, he was involved in various charitable and societal endeavors throughout his life, including fa- uh, co-founding the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, uh, sitting on the board of the University of Pennsylvania, and helping fund the Philadelphia Society for Promoting Agriculture. Okay. So. Agriculture's good. Yeah. So that's We the People. That's what I got. That's quite a bit. (laughs) What do you want to give them? I'm I'm going to get... I'm going to give them a... I know you like the supply thing, Mm -hmm. but all the other kind of like... It's just... Iffy stuff. was like... uh, Mm -hmm. Six. Six? I was going to go four. Oh, jeez. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to do six. That's fine. Uh, da, 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 six. I almost, I almost went a seven. <laughs> six and a four. That is a another ten for we the people. So he's not doing terribly so far. Articles of impeachment. Uh-oh. How scandalous were they? Ooh. Do you want to guess? He was a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> he, owned, he owned slaves. Yeah, technically. Oh, technically. Okay, here so, we go. So, this will be a discussion. A little bit of a discussion. He technically owned one slave named Ned. But he inherited him from his father, 
who died when Clymer was seven years old. And Ned died within a year. That I don't count. That, there, the, he didn't even have the concept of what a slave, uh, enslaved person was. Like, yeah, at that he'd be way too young. I I, I at least thought I'd mention it. Okay, that's fair. So, that is fair. But he would he never like try to get more though. No. Okay. In fact, uh, when his uncle died, you know, I told you like Clymer inherited his business. He inherited three slaves. He freed them at that time. So, I guess it is kind of, and and, and, this, and this was another thing. I'm like, this is also kind of crap. To manumit slaves, in some instances, you had to essentially. He had to, Clymer had to reimburse the estate for the loss of property value that those three slaves represented. Wow, he's what? So he took a financial hit by freeing them. But it was his estate. I, it's, I, that doesn't I make d- any sense. I didn't fully understand it. That's just what I read. That doesn't make any sense. I hate that. Estate law is, uh, trust me, I've d- gone through it twice. Estate law is confusing and horrible. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> so, it, yeah, I didn't fully understand it. But, yeah, I, I thought it's like that. to yeah. free your own slaves, you have to well, pay well, yourself. Technically I, technically, I guess they were the property of the estate. Okay, it's... if you're if you're treating them like property, it's like if you inher- inherited a chair and you s- gave the chair away, then you have to pay for that chair. I, I, I like that doesn't make any sense. I don't. I didn't fully. <laughs> I don't fully understand it either. But that's just that's just what happened. Yeah, that's dumb. I hate it. <laughs> it is. The point being, instead of just taking the slaves, he freed them. At and paid for it. Yeah, at an expense. Okay, yeah. that's even even a little better for me. I like it. His financial activities during the Revolution were not entirely altruistic, as he profited from much of the land speculation and supply issues. So, well, a little bit of war profiteering? Well, I mean... That's not what's, great. What's a little war profiteering between merchants, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> uh, he also... And we only have just kind of a vague allusion to this. He mentioned in a letter to an associate of his, that he had fathered a child before he was married. Okay. Now with his wife. Okay. We don't know anything else about it. We don't know who he fathered the child with. We don't know the child's name. He just mentioned it in passing in a letter once. Interesting. So he had ten total children, nine of which was with his wife. One illegitimate? Yes, before he was married. Right, that's what illegitimate yes. means. Yes, yeah. I, I know. <laughs> so, uh, that's that's what I got for articles of impeachment. It's not too bad. I mean, war profiteering, meh. Yeah. How many people do that? It's, yeah. You know, it's like everybody profits off of war, especially yeah. when you're a merchant. Like you're except, gonna... except the poor saps in the front lines. Well, of course. Well, <laughs> they do I mean, not like, profit. <laughs> I mean like these guys, like yeah. the merchants and stuff. Yeah, like, the people giving the supplies, it's like, yeah, they're they're gonna they're gonna make some scratch off of they're it. They're gonna try to make some money back. Because I mean they're I mean some of them were just giving stuff. So like they're yeah. yeah so they're just trying to make their money back basically. Um well, which I is mean, not I mean great. he didn't just make his money back, he made profit off of it. Right, 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 right. He came he came out of the revolution richer. Okay. Fair. fair. So. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's kind of, yeah, I don't know. It's iffy for me. But I think on that, not very scandalous. 
Because no. this is about scandalous, right? Yeah, it, yeah, it's not too bad. I'm I mean, there's, him, there's a little bit there. I'm gonna give him like a two. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was thinking about about a two. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, yeah, I mean, like he didn't keep any enslaved peoples. He didn't, you know, like almost kind of a good guy, but also wanted to make money. You know, like, like I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like a two, I think is good. Yeah, so uh, I agree. A two and a two. That's a four for articles of impeachment. Now for your favorite category. Yeah. The whites of their eyes. Please tell me. What this guy look like? Oh, he definitely had a portrait. Oh. You ready for this? Yeah. Ooh, look at the lighting in this one. Oh, it's a very man. good portrait. That's extremely uh, it's, good. It's it's a little. It's later in life. It's eighteen oh seven. So it's quite a little while after the revolution. Dang, it's all color. Era. It's he's got like a yellow little yellow it's, shirt coming out. It's the eighteen oh seven portrait by Charles Wilson Peale, who was kind of one of the leading portraiture artists of this time. I can tell why. That's like, I don't. I mean, obviously you don't know what the guy actually looked like, but I'm guessing that's spot on. Yeah, probably. It, it's almost like you can almost say photorealistic. It, oh, it is. It is like very, it's almost you t- took a picture good. of him. Yes. That's a five. Yeah, I, I agree. That's <laughs> kind of what I thought. It's like that's an there's, incredible there's, portrait. There's no other like none of those other things like you know like uh, he's reading a book just to make him look smart or he has papers on the table or there's a globe in the background. Yeah, it's like just a just a kind of dark background. He just has his hand in his coat. He has a kind of a smirk on his face. His chair, huh? What? He kind of has like a little smile. Yeah, a little bit. He's got a little smile on there. Yeah, a little mischievous grin. But yeah, <laughs> that's a very it's a very good portrait. Which, to be fair. Isn't necessarily him. It's the artist. Yeah, but still. But that's... yeah, if you're important enough to get your portrait painted by one of the best artists in the country, yeah, there you go. So, yeah, I agree. Five to five. That's a ten for the whites of their eyes, and of course, man, I that's a lot of tens. The other stuff. I apologize for the res. I need to get a higher res uh, image of the Declaration uh, painting, but he's in this area over here. Mm-hmm, I see. Which again. This is supposed to be the Committee of Five presenting the declaration to John Hancock, the president of the Congress. Remember, Clymer was not there for this. <laughs> yeah, well, so, a lot of them weren't. But he's over here. He's the guy kind of facing backwards. He's looking He's looking the other way. He's like, I don't want to look at this. Yeah, well, this, <laughs> I'm not even here. I don't know what I'm seeing. I'm, yeah, so. No, he's like, oh, did you guys see that bird over there? I thought I heard something. Uh, what was that? Right? Constitution. <laughs> He's over here. Okay. He's this guy right here. Oh, he's peeking through. He's a little, little peekaboo there. Yeah. He's, he's like a, little, peep, a perfect he's a little, little hole there. Yeah. with his face in it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. He's smiling again in there. I wonder if he was a just bit, a smiley guy. A little bit. He's got a little side eye going. He's like, hmm. I don't he's know about got like this. a little, little smile yeah. again. Like, he, I wonder if yeah. he was just like smiley. He just smiled a lot. I don't know. I like how some of them are like just looking right at the. It's like losing right at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's he, he he's uh he's in the background there. So he's there, barely. All right, bonus points. He gets two Ew. for signing the Declaration and the Constitution. With that, that gives him a total of thirty-six points. Nice. Not too shabby. That that ties him with. Our favorite named person, Charles Carroll of Carrollton. <laughs> but points don't always matter. Mm. So we got to ask the question. Mm. Is George Clymer mm. a founding father? Mm. 
Her floundering father. <laughs> I'm going with founding. I am too. I mean, he's not like, you know, he's not a he's not, you know, John Adams, but he's yeah. like like what are those like a uh, tier list rankings that they make? Like he's not he's not S tier. No, he's like whatever the like top B one is. Or a. Yeah, he's probably like B, yeah. Probably yeah. about there, you know. Yeah. He makes it, but yeah. he, he's not going to be like, you know, guys in the front row. Right. Yeah. So he wasn't an embarrassment. <laughs> No. Yeah, so there's that. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't William Blunt. He didn't he didn't commit treason. Yeah. <laughs> so. so yeah, George Clymer, you are a founding father. Woo! Woo! I I'd say he gets a he gets a bank name after him. Yeah. Nice solid bank. Yep. One of those like old school style banks. Yeah, there you go. The columns. Yep. <laughs> yep. So let's see here. What do we do after this? Oh yeah, sources. Uh he his pages. Uh, on the biographical record of the U.S. Congress, uh, Society, the Signers Declaration of Independence, those stuff that we've used several times before, uh, as well as Jerry Grunfest's book, George Clymer, Philadelphia Revolutionary, from 1982. As always, see the pinned tweet for general sources. Uh, the podcast I'm going to recommend, Age of Victoria, because it discusses the age of <laughs> Queen Victoria. The Victorian age, Nuh-uh. if you will, no in way. Britain. That was like the 1800s. There's like a there's a span I know. Yeah, it's like, like I guess it's her lifespan. It was like 1830, 1837 to 1901. 1901 was when she ruled. So yeah, quite a long time. But yeah, some uh, of the best po- clothes came out of that era. <laughs> sure, I I like that the clothes of that area. <laughs> okay, the clothing. All right, I could go on their podcast talk about the clothing. <laughs> okay. Co- coattails and top hats and lots of vests. I don't know if he's done an episode on clothing. But I don't know. He just he did he did a whole episode on sex during the period. So whoa, whoa. Yep. He'd be in our scandalous category. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So uh, yeah, Age of Victoria, very good, very solid. Uh, go let's do it. Uh, next time, who do I got next? Oh. Our first Rhode Islander, yeah, who we'll discuss, will have completed the set of thirteen colonies, yeah. thirteen states to discuss. Uh, we'll be talking about John Collins. John Collins, another just blase name there. Well, the like John I'm, Collins. It sounds like a uh, a drink, like a cocktail. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a John Collins. I have a I have a John Collins. <laughs> Straight up, John Collins, on the rocks. <laughs> Yeah, so, all right, tune in next time. Bye. Please be sure to check out our other projects, including We Effed Up, a history podcast where we cover all the times in history where we effed up. And The Drunken Pond, a YouTube channel where we play board games and drink craft beer. As well as Hard Ticket to Sedaris, a movie podcast covering the action films of the late Andy Sedaris. And for all of our projects, visit our Twitter at AOP Pod Network. I'm Steven. And I'm Cody, and this is Imperfect Imperfect Men. Men.